When we were empty, he filled us. When we were down to nothing, he was up to something. He, he has always considered you even when you did not consider him. He is faithful beyond your capacity to give back to him. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't love like you and me loves. He doesn't uh, consider faithfulness like you and I do. We love because somebody gives to us. It's called re reciprocity. We, we give out what we give back. You give me good energy, I give you good energy back. God's not like that. He says, I don't care how you treat me. I don't care what you've done for me. I don't care how you've neglected me or abused me or scandalized my name. I love you. I love you unconditionally. I love you with power. I love you with authority. I keep you safe when I should have let you perish. Y'all not going to help me there, but what you some of you know and like I know you wouldn't even be here today had the Lord not been on your side even when you wasn't trying to get to him he was trying to get you to him he kept the wolves away from you you was inviting them in and he kept them away because he knew you'd be here today giving praise and honor and glory unto heaven because that's who he is he loves you my God he, go ahead give him some praise in the church He let the church say amen Hallelujah, he's good to us. Far better than I've ever been to him. He has been good to me. Amen and amen. Glory to God. You may be uh, seated in his presence this morning if it's possible for you to do that. Hallelujah. Awesome and mighty. I have this confidence. Hmm. So this morning, as we jump into our series that we have been doing, Under God, we're going to discuss a, an attribute and a nature of God that, and a name of God that probably 90% of you in here have heard. Some of you have taken it upon yourself to claim this name when you really didn't deserve to. You've misapplied it to your situations because that's what we do. And so it's my mandate this morning to, instead of preaching at you or to you or with you, I'm going to teach you something this morning. I just, I felt as I was preparing this message a couple weeks ago, actually, I just felt a spirit of teacher on this particular subject. And I think I know why. Because it's one of those subjects that I could really get you Pentecostal folks whooped up into a frenzy over. I mean, I could really get it, get it bumping in here and make the Lord feel something if we want to. Because this is one of those topics we start talking about provision. We start talking about getting something. Boy, I can really make the rafters shake in the church. But some of us, see, we already just, just, mentioned, just mentioned it. Woo! Brings a woo! But sometimes we shout when we should be learning. Sometimes we get louder to drown out the sound of conviction. And so I want to teach you something about God this morning and about one of his names in particular. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. And when I say that and you see what the story is, many of you are going to be like, oh, I know this name. And you're right. You know the name. And you have applied the name. And you have used the name. And you have claimed the promises uh, that that name entails. However, by the time this sermon is over, 
I'm going to teach you something about this name that even I did not realize as I began to study this and, and the Spirit began to extrapolate truth to me. I, I, I began to see things about this name that I have never known. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't know that I could prove it. I, I knew it about God, but I didn't know that I could prove it about God based upon Scripture. So this morning, uh, I, I, you and me going to learn together. Is that all right? Amen. So I want to show you this morning about God's provision and the nature of God is that He is a giver. He is a blesser. His desire is to bless His people. Uh, Paul uh, in the New Testament talks about how He wants to give it to us exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can imagine or think. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I have a pretty active imagination. Like, I can imagine some stuff, and yet the Bible says God wants to bless us even above what we can imagine. Because His nature is to bless. Every parent in here understands that. You want to bless your children. And even when you don't bless them because of misdeeds, it doesn't mean because you didn't want to. You want them to straighten up and fly right so you can bless them. Can I get an amen? Well, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, the Bible says how much more does the Father want to bless His children? And all of that is good preaching, and that's what I'm saying. If I started preaching this, boy, I'd really, I'd really get you whooped up into a frenzy. But I need to teach you something about provision, because before God gives, sometimes God wants to know what we're willing to give up. And this is the side of giving that we never, ever hear. This is the side of God and His blessings that we never talk about, because we don't, it's not as popular. As, as how he wants to bless you exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. We love it when we receive blessings from God. But what would we do if we were ever asked to give one of those blessings back? Genesis chapter 22, that's exactly what happens to a man named Abraham. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at Abraham. And this is probably the most uh, popular or, or the most famous story of Abraham's life. Abraham going up Mount Moriah with his son, Isaac. Now we have uh, touched on Abraham's story already of how he had an illegitimate son. He staggered into the wrong tent, uh, had a, a baby with Hagar, and, and how Hagar's uh, life was turned upside down. Sarah's life was turned upside down. Abraham's life was turned upside down. And by the way, the Middle East is still being turned upside down because he went into the wrong tent. Because sin always takes you farther than you wanted to stay. It uh, then you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. You can't play with sin, church. You can't do it. Yet once you have come to the knowledge of truth and you know who Jesus Christ is, you can't keep playing with sin. It will mess you up and not just mess you up, but mess you up for generations. So you've got to stay away from sin. And we've been looking at how Hagar and Abraham's life has been messed up and Sarah's life's been messed up. But then we come to the place where God actually did do what God promised he would do. He told Abraham that he was going to give him a son and Isaac is that son. 24 years they waited for this promise. I can't get some of y'all wait 24 hours. They waited 24 years for a promise to show up. And when it finally does, here's what happens in Genesis 22 and verse 1. And it came to pass after these days, these things, that God tested Abraham. Pay attention to that word because we don't like to think about God giving us tests. But it plainly says that God tested Abraham. Abraham. And what's he going to use as a test? Well, if he's God, he's not going to require something small. He's a big God who gives big pop quizzes and requires big answers. 
So here's his test. And said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. That's the way to answer when God says something. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. That, I can't stress that one little, those three little words are so important. This was not the son that he threw away. I could go back and show you how he cast out uh, Hagar and Ishmael and told them to leave. Although I'm sure it hurt his heart to watch his son, even though it was an illegitimate son, it was still his son. I'm sure it hurt his heart, but this son's different. This is the son, notice he says, that you love. I didn't ask you for one that you could throw away. God don't ask you for the money left over. He asked you for the stuff you love. He said, I'm going to ask you for the son that you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Uh-huh. This is a test, God says. Not of the emergency broadcasting system. But this is a test from heaven. And he tests Abraham in the most devastating way that I can think of. He said, today I want you to sacrifice the son that you love. I'm going to test you, Abraham. I want you to give up the one thing that you love the most. The one thing that was a dream come true to you. The one thing that you are the most excited about, I want it. Did you hear how quiet it got in here? Notice how when I was talking about God's provision, everybody, woo! Ron Hallbacker, woo! We start talking about sacrifice, it sets a whole nother tone in this place. You start talking about giving up something that you really, really want, it sets an entirely different mood. And that, my friend, is why I have to teach this today. Because this was not a scriptural test. It goes deeper than that. This was a theological test. God had made Abraham a promise. And this was the promise that he made. He said, Isaac would produce a great nation. God said, through your son Isaac, I will bless the world. Because he will have many children who will call him father. And he will spread your seed all across the world. The world will be blessed by Isaac. Isaac is now a grown man who has no children. And God says killing this is a theological quiz this test is going to show how much Abraham believes God when God makes a promise because it is easy for you to get whooped up in church especially the way we sing songs are you ladies ready to sing with the way we sing songs you can easily snatch hold of a message and say oh yeah that's me that's my God me and Jesus are homeboys we got it going on he's going to be my provider it is a different thing entirely when God asks something of you see it's one thing for us to sing I believe we got that uh, Kristen and uh, sister Alicia and my wife could y'all help me out with this because I can't do it If you know it, sing along. Get excited about it. Yeah, like you do. You believe what? 
So you come into church beat up, dragged out, wondering how you're going to get through the storms, and that song makes you feel better. And then we go to the next verse, right? I believe my family. Uh Uh-huh. See how that makes you feel? What do you believe? It's all right. So we come to church and we sing that and you get all up in your fields and then God says, kill it. See how quiet you got? You come to church and you claim that. That's his promises. We can go to the book and we can find promises that leads us to believe that all of those things are true. My family will get better. And so you come into church and you're going through family situations and family turmoil and family struggle. You snatch hold of that and you say, yes, that's my God. He's my provider. He'll take care of me. But then as soon as you leave the atmosphere of that worship, God looks at you and says, kill him. What do you do? What do you do when what you are seeing doesn't line up with what you heard. What do you do when what you see happen in your life doesn't line up with the promises that he made to you? See, see, he told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. God, how are you going to do that if he's dead? He's my only son. I'm 99. Come on. He was 99 when the boy was born. He's full grown now. He's at least a 30-year-old man. Abraham's like 130. Where's he going to get another baby? He is too dry and dusty to be doing this again. Where's he going to get another child? See, my mind can't tie these two ends together. My promise and what I see are sometimes so far apart, y'all not going to help me, that my mind can't tie the ends together. It doesn't make sense for God to give me a son that he says is going to spread my name and my seed and at the same time wants to kill him. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. Because what, in light of what he promised you doesn't line up with what you actually see happening in your life. So jump down to verse 7 and I'm going to help you some more. And Isaac said to Abraham his father, even though this gets more complicated. He said, my father. He said, here I am my son. He said, look at the fire and the wood. But unless I miss something, daddy. Uh, where, where, where's, where's the lamb? Because we're going up to make a burnt offering. I see the wood. You're not hiding what you're about to do. I see fire. I see wood. But what's going to be the sacrifice? And Abraham, verse 8, said, My son, God will provide. Stop right there. And, and see, right there is where I could start preaching real good and get this place hot and heavy, and you, you'd start shouting with me again, and we'd have people swinging from the chandeliers. God will provide. I've preached this before. This is good preaching. However, if you keep reading, what, notice what it says. He will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, up together. Here's what God has done to Abraham, and here is what... I'm going to start instructing you. Are you ready? I'm going to use the the heart of a pastor and the instructions of a father today. This is what God does to you. This is what God did to Abraham. 
He put Abraham in a situation that only God could fix. So what he has done is he has gotten Abraham in a position where Abraham is not capable of producing for himself. He has to trust God. He must believe that the promises that God made to him over 40 years before this incident is still holding true today. He has to trust God. Jump down to verse 11 and we'll continue uh, getting some instruction. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven and said, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Here, Isaac's laying on a table. His daddy is above him with a dagger about to plunge it into his heart. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Not only is he having to kill his own son, but it's his son that he was promised. And just about the time that he is about to kill Isaac, an angel shows up. And verse 12 says, don't touch him. Don't do him any harm. And notice why. Notice why. And this, this is what I never saw until I studied for this message. Notice why. For now I know that you fear God. Huh, I just got goosebumps on my goosebumps. See, 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 see the, the revelation of, of the word even challenges me. As many times I've read it, as many times I've prayed over it, as many times I've preached it, I still get taught from this thing. Notice what he said. He said, don't touch him because now I know that you fear God. Part of the reason, are you ready for some instruction? Part of the reason that we don't receive from heaven is because we have gotten too comfortable with the provider. We aren't afraid to hurt, disappoint, or anger him anymore. We have gotten in this mode of cruise control Christianity where we have just set our speed and we're cruising through life and we're taking on passengers and we're letting passengers off and we're taking exits and we're going off the of exit ramps and we are no longer concerned with whether God is happy with our decisions, whether God is pleased with our choices. We are just cruising through life and expecting God to keep putting gas in the tank and refill uh, the wipers and, and to make sure the tires stay inflated. And we're just cruising along claiming God is my provider. God is my provider. And we are no longer afraid of letting him down. When's the last time, this is rhetorical, do not answer this. When's the last time you asked God if you were still pleasing him? You want him to put gas in your tank? You want him to keep your tires from running bald, but when's the last time you were driving through life and you said, God, are you still happy with the choices I'm making? Are you still pleased with the way that I am going? The Bible it, over and over and over again teaches us that we're supposed to ask God to search our hearts to see what is inside of us. Because sometimes you have to go and tell somebody you're sorry. Sometimes you have to apologize to people who will never apologize back to you. Sometimes you have to quit a thing because it's not pleasing to God. Sometimes you have to start a thing because it would be pleasing to God.
But you will never know it if you're just cruising along and you cruise in here every Sunday and say, preach bishop, and you cruise over here every Sunday and say, sing choir, and you just cruise on through life and you don't ask any questions and you don't study for yourself and you don't ever examine yourself and you will never know whether what you're, the path you're on is pleasing to the Lord. Now, I'm going to show you something about provision because we all want to claim God provides. But what makes God provide? What makes you think you are worthy of God doing something supernatural in your life? Verse 12 says, I, I know that you fear the Lord because you have not withheld your son, your only son. In verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, he looked up and looked. He looked up he, he lifted his eyes and saw. He looked up and saw. God don't waste words. When this Bible says something, it means something. He looked. He lifted his eyes and looked. And there was behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. See, I told you, I'm, I'm getting revelation as I'm teaching this. He, God's still working on me too. There was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, and Abraham went and took the ram. Remember when he told his son, God will provide? He will provide what? A sacrifice. God will provide himself a sacrifice. He just found it. Now, I got a question for all you saints. At what point? Did God provide the sacrifice? I'm going to tell you. I don't know. Because we have no idea how long that ram was caught in the thicket. Here's what we do know. Abraham didn't see it until after he finished the command. In other words, your answer can be sitting right next to you but you won't be able to see it until God is ready to reveal it. Not because God didn't have it. Not because God was holding it back. But because when you are going up one side of the mountain called trial, God is bringing up another side of the mountain called solution. And the trouble is you can't see the solution side from the trial side unless you look through faith. And faith comes by obedience. Wow. So the problem's solution can be tied up within eyesight. And you'll miss it until you have completed the obedience test. Go all the way back to the beginning verse. I'm going to test you, Abraham. And you thought the test only involved Isaac going up the mountain. The test wasn't completed until he saw he feared the Lord. See, I've done all kinds of things. I'm going to be honest. I'll just be transparent. Y'all pray for the bishop. Y'all more holy than I am. There's been all kinds of things I've done for God out of obedience, out of routine, and out of habit. I've came to church out of habit. I've preached the gospel because it's what I'm supposed to do. 
But my, I didn't engage my spirit, my heart, and my mind. I was just going through motions. I know, I know y'all don't want to hear this, but, but, but thank God that His Word is never wasted. That it will not return to Him void, but it will accomplish what He set it out to do. Because there's been times I am human as, as the day is long, and I have stood in pulpits, not just this one, but I have stood in pulpits with humanity all over me and speaking a supernatural Word. Thank God the Word is more powerful and more anointed than my flesh and my spirit because there's been times I have preached angry and there has been times that I have preached while I was hiding from God. Y'all don't want to hear this. There has been times that my wife and I got in a knockdown, drag out slobber knocker before we ever got to church and I preached the gospel and had people got set free while she sat on the front pew tapping her foot saying, I can't believe this fool would be, be talking about that right now yeah, the way he talked to me this morning. Now I know y'all don't think that ever goes on but it's happened before. Thank God those days are over but it was a part of my life at one time I want you to understand that God's tests never have to do with the devil see that's new revelation for some of you as it was for me God's tests he don't need the devil to show up to give you an examination he's not interested in how committed you are to Satan he is abundantly interested in how you are committed to heaven. This is God's test. Verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place. Here's the name. Jehovah-Jireh. As, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Pay attention to that. I'll come back to it. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In the mount, not, not capital L, not Jehovah. But in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. There's probably not a more celebrated name for God than Jehovah Jireh. Oh, this is the one we like. Oh, yeah. We, we don't like, we don't like uh, uh, when God's up in our face and calling out our sins. But, boy, we sure do like Jehovah Jireh who provides for us. When God uses a compound name, Jehovah Jireh, it's usually because He is addressing a problem that you have in your life. And He is speaking specifically for His ability to give you the solution to your problem. So the root word, okay, the word Jireh means provision. In other words, it means the Lord will provide. But the root word for Jireh means see. Now wait a minute. If the root word means to see, how do we get from seeing to providing? Provision. Provision. In other words, God sees a need. And he takes care of it. That's called provision. God addresses what he's able to see. I'm about to go a little bit deeper. Are you ready for this? God provides on the basis of what he is able to see. So, his prevision leads to his provision. 
So the question we need to answer is, what does God need to see that will cause Him to provide? And this is where church folk go off the rail. Because you get caught up in the contradictions of your life. When the, when the promise says one thing, but what you see going on in the family says something else. When you go up against something that is not fair, you have been praying and got no answer. You have been worshiping God and been faithful to church and stuff just gets worse and worse and worse. You have paid your tithes and not only did you pay your tithes, you gave above your tithes and you still got laid off. And what you are hearing God say and what you are seeing is a contradiction. And what in the world is going to cause God to step in and provide in those places? And you will see that He is Jehovah Jireh. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to verse 3. God said, I'm going to test you, Abraham. I want your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to take him up on the mountain. And what's verse 3 says? Abraham got up, not like Church of God people. He got up early in the morning. And he, and he saddled his donkey. I like the New King James Version of that better than his King James counterpart. He saddled something else in the King James. He took two of his young men with him. Okay? He took two young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. And, and he went where God told him. And he went where God told him. And he went where God told him. I wish I could just preach for about an hour and didn't say nothing else. He went where God told him. And he, went, he got up early in the morning and he got everything ready and he went where God told him. And not only did he go where God told him, he went there immediately. Okay, so I'm going to teach you something. Even though it didn't make no sense, even though he didn't understand, he got up and went where God told him and he went there immediately. I'm going to drop two truth nuggets on you. Ready? Delayed obedience becomes immediate disobedience. Putting God off to another time is called, it, there's a Greek word for that, called you ain't right. Okay? Partial obedience is complete disobedience. You can't live for God nine days out of ten. And the tenth day do whatever you want to do. Because in those days there was no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You, 99 and a half won't do. You've got to be sold out to God. So when God gives you an instruction and you start dragging your feet and you make excuses or you wait for a better time, there is nothing, catch this, for God to see. You have provided nothing for God to see. Remember, He provides what He sees. When he sees, he provides. And if he doesn't see, he doesn't make provision because we never acted on what he said. Abraham rose immediately. Now if he stopped halfway up the mountain or if he decided to go halfway up and decided this thing wasn't working and he went back home, he would have never gotten to the place where he saw that God is Jehovah Jireh. And that's what a lot of people do. They get up. They come to church, but they quit halfway. They pay their tithes, they say their prayers, they sing the songs, but when something happens at the job, they quit. 
When something happens in the marriage, they stop. When one of their kids go to jail, when, when mama dies, when something bad happens, they stop. And they think God's supposed to provide just because they got up. But God didn't tell Abraham to get up. He told him to go to the mountain of sacrifice. And you don't go to the mountain of sacrifice if you don't first get up. You've got to get up and get yourself going. Just because God tells you to go doesn't mean he's going to kick you out the bed. So what we are looking for is a life that is not based on partial obedience because when you try to get partial, partially obedient to God but want to receive full-time manifestation, God going to check out on you. So when God saw that Abraham was not going to hold anything back from him, it was then that God provided. So I'm going to get real personal with you. In the next few minutes that I have left with you. Are you willing to give God your Isaac? The thing that means the most to you. The thing that you hold on to the tightest. The thing that you want more than anything else. See, God finally saw that Abraham loved him more than he loved Isaac. Notice, he didn't stop loving Isaac to love God. He just chose to love God more. Two things can be true. You can love God and love Isaac, but you have, to put God, you have to put priorities in place. So loving God in faith, hear me, hear me, hear I believe my family will get better. Listen, when you love God in faith, it is more than an emotional attachment. It means acting on what He told you to do. Jesus said, people will know that you love me because you obey my commandments. He didn't say that you will love me by coming to church on Sunday. You can come to church on Sunday every single Sunday. Come back Wednesday night. Go to all the singings and the festivals and the revivals in the land and still be a devil. Do you hear this preacher this morning? Just because you come to church, serve on the praise team, preach in the pulpit, help with the kids, work in the media department, that don't mean a hill of bees. You have to first serve God with your life, your heart, your mind, your soul or you're not serving him you may be serving the house you may be serving the preacher you may be serving your mama or your daddy but you're not serving God until he has you the landscape of Christianity is littered with folks who volunteer everything except Isaac they volunteer their time on Sunday they volunteer their voice to the praise team. They volunteer their music to the music department. They volunteer their, their, their patience to the children in the nursery. But they've never given God Isaac. They do whatever they want to do, and they hold on to the feelings that they have, and they keep the habits and the addictions and the relationships that they know is not pleasing to God. And they say, God, you can have everything except this. But understand that Abraham never saw Jehovah Jireh until he gave up Isaac. The ram was not evident. It was there, but Abraham couldn't see it until he gave God everything. So some of us are living below our provision. Not because God hasn't provided. 
Because you won't see it until you obey the command. One of the reasons some people don't see Jehovah Jireh is because he's still waiting to see them act on what he said to them. Isaac had to be placed on the altar and when God saw that Abraham feared him above what was happening to himself and above what was happening to his son, then God provided. Then and only then did the solution show up, even if it was right beside of him. I'm convinced that there's people that's been waiting five years on something that God would have gave them in five minutes. But he never saw you complete the sacrifice. And if he doesn't see you complete the sacrifice, you're going to be waiting a long time on something that God would have gave you a long time ago. I see people do this all the time when they single. Oh, single people will do it with immunity. They want to mate so badly, they don't, but they won't give their singlehood over to God. And He could give them the thing, and it might be right beside of them, but they can't see it because the only thing that, they, that God wants from them, they won't give to Him. So you can hold on to Isaac, or you can have Jehovah Jireh, and we want both, but we can't have it both ways. It's only when he sees that you sacrifice that he provides. If we don't give him anything to experience, he withholds provision because he responds to faith. Verse 16. By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Your descendants as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And verse 18 says, And your seed, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now here's where we need to pay attention because he says Abraham not only gets back what he thought he gave away to God, he said, not only do, do you not have to lose Isaac, I'm going to give you Isaac back, but I'm going to give you stuff you didn't even know I was going to give you in the first place. See, this is what Jehovah Jireh does. This is when Paul talks about exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. This is where that kicks in. But you never get into that area if you haven't first given up Isaac. And by the way, he didn't give up Isaac anyway because the book of Hebrews says that when he was walking up that mountain, he had already received Isaac by faith back from the dead. He had full intentions of killing Isaac. He thought that when he went up on that mountain, he was going to put that dagger through his heart. But he knew that because God had made a promise to him that even if he had to raise Isaac back from the dead, that God was able. He didn't realize that God could show up before death and say, this is all I wanted. I just wanted to know do you love me more than you love Isaac? And he sent this preacher to this church this morning to ask you and you and you and you and you, do you love him more than you love Isaac? Because some of you have been waiting to see provision kick in and he's been waiting to see you kick in. Hebrews chapter 11 tells the story. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And that he had received the promises offered up by his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And verse 19 says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. 
So if you keep what's in your hand, if you keep Isaac, that's all you get. But if you let Isaac go, not only do you never really lose what you have, but Jehovah Jireh provides more than you were going to ask for in the first place and much more than you were trying to hold on to. In other words, he could save Isaac, but he would have lost everything else. Abraham could save Isaac. Abraham could have stayed in bed that morning and said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I, I can't do it, God. I can't give you that. He could have stayed in bed that morning, and he would have kept Isaac. God wasn't going to kill Isaac. He had no intention of killing Isaac. But what Abraham would have lost, he would have kept Isaac, but he'd have lost the promise. And some of us are waiting on God to show up and provide, but we're trying to hold on to Isaac. So when he completed the sacrifice, he not only got Isaac back, he got everything else back too. Understand, I know you love Isaac. I know he's your coochie coo. I know he's your sugar. He's your bae. He's your boo. I know you think you can't make it without him. I know, you, I know that you have committed so much of your life to Isaac that you can't imagine life going on if Isaac's not part of it. But if you complete the sacrifice and give Isaac to God, you'll find out that God is unlimited in his ability to bless you. Or you can hold on to Isaac. How's that holding on to Isaac thing working for you anyway? Come here, honey. You're the only person I can touch because Corona. So, so here's my Isaac, and I can't imagine life without Isaac. And I've, I've, I've committed my life to making sure that Isaac is part of this. And Isaac is, and Isaac could be anything. It could be, it could be a lovely lady. It, it could be a job. It could be a career. It could be going to school. It could be a house that you can't afford. It could be a lot of things in your life. Whatever Isaac is that you've been holding on to and you can't imagine. I can't imagine living life without Isaac. And I'm holding on to Isaac because, God, I've given you everything else. Why would you want me to sacrifice Isaac? Isaac's the one thing that I want to hold on to. God says, exactly. The one thing you want to hold on to is the one thing I want you to give to me. And here's what God says. If I hold on to Isaac, and you've got everything you want in Isaac, why do you keep coming to me asking me for stuff? If Isaac is all that in a bag of chips, why do you keep dragging him up to this altar asking me to bless Isaac? When I keep telling you, if you will give me Isaac, I will give you, not only do you not lose what you thought you had, but I'm going to give you above what you were asking for. But if you hold on, you hold on to a limited resource and ask an unlimited God to bless what you're trying to hold on to, and you wouldn't be dragging Isaac to the Lord anyway if Isaac was all that. You're the only person I can touch in Corona. So we keep dragging Isaac in front of God, asking God to bless something that we ain't willing to give up. And the whole time, God's saying, if you just give it to me, <laughs> I'll kick the limits off your life. Verse 14 told us, Abraham called that place Jehovah 
Jireh. But pay attention. He calls the place the Lord will provide, but then he tells you where he will provide. Did you catch it? In the mount of the Lord. In other words, hear me, God don't provide just everywhere. He provides in the mount of the Lord. He provides in the place of obedience. In the place where he told you to go. If you get outside of that, I don't care what you post on Facebook. I don't care how many times you share this. Share this and God will bless you. First of all, that ain't the way any of this works. Second of all, stop it. It makes us all look bad. Okay, I don't care what you post on Facebook. makes no never mind to God because you can look good in front of man and totally miss what God has saw in your life. Okay, so the mount of God is where he told you to go in obedience and you went. That's where he provides. He doesn't provide just everywhere. You can't live however you want to and expect God to bless your mess. You have to make it a matter of worship. You have to make it a matter of obedience. And I told you this wasn't going to be popular. I told you what nobody going to shout. I didn't even shout. But this was heavy revelation. This is why we can't just walk into the church house and expect God to bless. Oh, bless me, Lord. I came to church this morning. I need a new job. Well, do you know how filled up the churches got after 9-11? Because everybody was scared and afraid, and they, was, they were afraid that people were going to take over the nation. They flocked to the church house, but it didn't last because they were after God's hand, but they wasn't seeking His face. And there's so many people who come to church regularly. Corona's kind of filtered out some of them. Because after three months of not being able to come back to the house of the Lord, they, they found out that they didn't love the Lord as much as they loved coming to church. And so when the church opened back up, they didn't see no reason to go because they'd already got detoxed from the church house. And they wasn't after God anyway, so they didn't see the need in returning to the house of God. I want you to understand that sometimes we're asking God to provide, but we're refusing to get in the place of provision. And I wish I had time to go deeper into that concept, but I just, I'll leave you with this thought. If God has asked something of you, it's not because he's mean or he wants to be a dictator. It's because he knows that as long as you hold on to Isaac, you'll never be able to hold totally on to him. And he's wanting to take you higher than Isaac's going to let you go. He's wanting to bring you deeper than Isaac's going to go with you. And the decision is yours. So I want to pray with you this morning before we dismiss. Because in spite of my pain, I'm going to worship the Lord. I won't worship God just when I feel like it. Because I don't just love the blessing. I love the blesser. So I want to let go of whatever's holding me back. I want to be free from anything that will cause me to miss his plan for my life. Whatever limits him, limits me. So Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, I pray over this congregation this morning that this word will be forever settled in our spirits. 
Many of us, Lord, wake up every day wondering why we don't have provision and why you haven't uh, fulfilled your promises to our lives, why you haven't given us what, the th- what we think we need in order to sustain us. And God, uh, there's been so many promises spoken over our lives through the Word, and we can't understand why it is that we do not have and see uh, the reality of our provision being met in our lives. And God, I pray that this Word will be digested into our minds and into our spirits, and that even after we leave, here, we will know that we can't just sing a song. We have to worship with our whole mind, our whole heart, and our whole strength. We can't just worship with our attendance in church, but God, we have to worship by sacrificing on the mountain of obedience where you have told us to go. We love you, and we praise you, and we honor you today, God. And most of all, we ask that you would search us and see if there be anything in us that's not pleasing to you. Help us walk in your will. In Christ's name, we are weak. Help make us strong. Amen.